Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. All right, as I said before, we're going to be diving into Matthew 18, but I'm going to take a pit stop first in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you've got your phone app open, let's get it open to Ephesians 4. And while you're doing that, let me just uh, tell you a a story that inspired me this past week. It's been about uh, 10 years, and Matt Swatzel was was driving home from a 24-hour shift as a firefighter. He was extremely tired because it had been uh, a long, long 24-hour shift. He had only managed to squeeze in about... 30 minutes of sleep in that entire 24-hour period, and he just had thoughts of getting home, getting into bed under those covers, because he was extremely tired. And as he was thinking, with only four miles left to go, that he was just about home, all of a sudden, he heard what he later called the most God-awful sound that I've ever heard. And he looked up and realized that on his drive home, he'd fallen asleep and struck another vehicle. Inside that vehicle was a young woman, pregnant, and a 19-month-old baby. Matt got out of his car, and he looked in, and he could tell that the mom was not responsive. The baby fortunately did survive, but the mother and, and the baby in the womb later passed away. It was devastating for Matt. Obviously, he became a firefighter because he cares deeply about people. The name of the young lady who passed away in that horrible accident was June. And June's husband, Eric Fitzgerald, it turned out, was a pastor at the local church. And although he was a pastor, a youth pastor, he, he was private in his grief. He, he tended to pull in and grieve with his family, but, but he also grieved with those in his youth ministry. And I want to read a little bit of what, something that happened. Says June's husband, Eric Fitzgerald, a full time pastor, grieved the loss of his wife and child with close family and friends, including young people from his student ministry. One young girl told him she couldn't help but think of how the driver in the car was feeling. He told her she was right and that they should all pray for him. It was his opportunity to practice the forgiveness he had preached so many times before. You forgive. As you've been forgiven, said Fitzgerald, referencing a Bible verse. It wasn't an option for me. If you've been forgiven, then you will extend that forgiveness to others. Now, when I heard that story, it, first of all, wrenched my heart, as I'm sure it does yours, for this beautiful young mother to lose her life in an accident like that, uh, a baby in the womb, and for this dad, Eric, who lost the love of his life in just a moment, completely unexpectedly. And I found with that student that my heart also went out 
for, for this young man, Matt Swatzel, who cares deeply about people, fell asleep at the wheel, and struck and killed someone that he never intended to. And I found myself asking, what would I do in that situation? Would I have the courage, would I have the strength, would I have the fortitude to be able to forgive as, as Eric is going to end up forgiving Matt? It's just unbelievable to think of it. And, and what we hear come out of Eric Fitzgerald's mouth is really the key message of today's sermon, which is if we've been forgiven and if we've been forgiven great things, horrible things really, are we not to turn that back around and use the same, same grace and forgiveness that we've received to forgive others because we've first been forgiven so much ourselves? You see, Paul is going to dive into this very topic in Ephesians chapter 4, and he's going to point out to us that, that, that nowhere is forgiveness more important than in the church family. This is where it starts with us who are brothers and sisters in Christ, that we must learn how to forgive by practicing forgiveness first with our brothers and sisters in the Christian faith. Because as he says, remember, Christ has unified you. I want, to, I want to take you into the first passage. Paul the Apostle is writing to a congregation in Asia Minor, Ephesus. This is a group of people that have every reason to be divided and separated into factions and groups and cliques. And Paul is pulling them together and saying, remember the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus has brought you together as family. He's unified you unified you, made you one. And I want you to notice what he says. Be completely humble and gentle. Do you know what causes humility to grow up in our hearts? It's the recognition that we need forgiveness ourselves first, that we are sinful, that we have failed and fallen in God's sight. And therefore, to hold ourselves up as some great example of morality or, or great example of, of good person is, is in no way in our sight because in all humility, we have to recognize, as Pastor Dan pointed out to us last week, you go through those Ten Commandments, they, they will lead you to a little bit, probably a lot of bit of humility as you recognize, I can't keep these. I don't keep them in my actions, my words. I don't even keep them in my in thoughts and feelings. So Paul says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Jonathan referenced this before, that to be in family and in unity with others who are unlike ourselves. If you, if you look at Crosswalk on any given Sunday, you're going to see people from all different backgrounds and histories and all, lots of differences. And the one thing that powerfully unites us is Christ and our faith. It, it, it's not what we've come here with from our own personal backgrounds. And so if we're to be united in Christ, as Paul says, 
We have to be willing to bear with one another in love. And that will sometimes mean a little bit of pain and struggle for us to bear with someone that we don't quite fully understand yet. He goes on, he says, and I want you to underline these words, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, especially those words, make every effort. This is Paul, not just the apostle, but Paul the coach. And what he's saying is, boys, ladies, this is unity. You've been brought together. The Holy Spirit has, has created this in you. Those of you who've ever coached Little League or wrestling or whatever you coach, basketball, you know what it is to try to call the very best out of your players. This is Paul calling the very best out of us. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. This is a unity that the Spirit has produced by creating a bond of peace between us. We are all forgiven sinners. That's that bond of peace. What Paul is saying in simple words is, we're family. And it's deserving of our very best effort to stay together as family, to keep it together as family. In the same chapter... He goes on, and he says, here's how that works. How do you make every effort to keep the unity? And it starts, he says, with putting issues on the table with each other. If I were to ask you to raise your hand and, 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 and respond to this question, raise your hand if you love conflict. I'll bet I get a whole auditorium of people that would raise their hands enthusiastically, right? Right? I love conflict. I love putting issues on the table. There's nothing better than telling my brother in Christ, my sister in Christ, that I think they've done something wrong. I love that. <laughs> we don't love that. Let's, let's be real. We don't love that at all. And so what we do is we stuff it. When someone sins against us, especially when it's a brother or sister in Christ, we, we do something that I call terminal, churchy niceness. Do you know what terminal, churchy niceness is? <laughs> terminal, churchy niceness is, is because we're in the church and we don't want to rock the boat and we don't want to say anything that's too mean or upsetting to our brother and sister in Christ. We put on the face and we act nice to them and we don't put issues and sins on the table. It's, it's tough stuff to actually do this. But what Paul says is, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the, for the day of redemption. Remember last week when Pastor Dan said, when we break the commandments, we don't just break commandments, we break, anyone remember? God's heart. Now, I don't know if Pastor Dan actually showed you a verse that says this, but this is a verse that says that. Do not grieve the Spirit of God. Do not break the heart of the Spirit of God. Now, how do we break the heart of the Spirit of God? He goes on. With whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, Christ bought you by his blood and got you fully prepared to go into heaven. 
through the forgiveness of sins. That's a done deal for you. Now you've been sealed in that. So he says, remembering who you are, what your destiny is, get rid of some stuff. Like what? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Get rid of it. Would you underline those words? Paul is telling you how to make every effort to keep the unity. And maybe you're scratching your head right now going, what? Make every effort to keep the unity means almost, it seems here, as if Paul is saying, do stuff all your feelings of anger and frustration, but he's actually saying the exact opposite. He's saying, get rid of them by talking them out. And, and, and don't brawl, don't, don't take it out physically, don't let it sit in your heart as bitterness, don't have loud at, outbursts, but calmly sit down and talk it out kindly and compassionately. Man, is that tough, huh? How does that work at your house, right? I am sure that none of you, like Julie and me, ever get into a crazy cycle where it's bam, and then bam back, and bam, 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 and then bam, 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 bam. That never happens to you, does it? There you go. Thank you, Lawrence, for backing me up. That's the crazy cycle. Very rarely do we take the time and the deep breath and the settling of the heart that says, look, this is, this is an issue. We got to sit down and talk about it like two grown adults. We're too busy doing the bam and the bam, bam back. And so what Paul is saying is, with compassion, with kindness, sit down Work it out, talk it out, forgive one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. You were forgiven. Jesus worked that out for you on the cross. Through his perfect life and his innocent sufferings and death, he worked that out for you. You've been forgiven of everything. Now, go work it out with others because family comes first. I want you to write this down. With Jesus, family comes first. And when I say this, I mean spiritual family. Obviously, Jesus loves your physical family, but he loves this spiritual family. It's what Paul is talking about. And he wants us to make every effort to keep the unity in our church family. So this is huge because it sets up what Jesus is going to tell us in Matthew chapter 18. That part, make every effort to keep the unity, is why Jesus says what he does. Now I want you to go to Matthew 18. And before I get to verse 15, I want you to just look at the section heads in Matthew 18, because that gives you the context to understand where Jesus is going with this. This is Jesus, the end, the, the very end of Jesus' Galilean ministry. He's by the, by the Sea of Galilee near Capernaum. He's preaching and teaching there. And in a short while, he's about to leave and go to Jerusalem to be crucified. These are, these are some of the most important teachings as Jesus winds down his ministry. 
And he knows that he's leaving, and he knows that he's leaving his gospel and his people in the hands of the church. And so he has some instructions. If you look at at verse 6, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Wow. Pretty serious. Don't break up the unity, especially with these little babies who believe in me. He goes on, he, he tells a little parable of the wandering sheep. See that you don't despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? Jesus is saying, make every effort to keep the unity of the family. If only one of the family wanders off into unbelief, leave the 99 others behind and go after that one. Make every effort. And now he comes to relationships. And I want you to look at the the next passage on your crosswalk notes. Matthew 18, 15 to 17. How are we going to make every effort to maintain the unity? Jesus gives us what I'll call the forgiveness system. This is a system that Jesus wants us as brothers and sisters in the church to use with one another when we're hurt by the sin of someone else in the church. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Ever followed the system? It's a tough system to follow. Because the moment that I open my mouth to tell someone, a brother and sister in Christ, that they've hurt me, that they've angered me, now I've opened a can of worms, haven't I? And it is not easy to even take the first step. Now, if I don't seem to be making headway with the first step and I call someone else in and ask them, hey, help me because there's an issue between me and a brother or sister in Christ. Let's go together and deal with this. What have I just signaled to that individual? Oh, yeah, this is a big, hairy deal. Who wants to be saying something like that? And so what do most of us do? Let's be honest. We don't bring it up. We don't put issues on the table. We just stay silent and we slowly slowly simmer in our anger and frustration. And by the way, this doesn't just happen among brothers and sisters in the church, does it? It happens in families. It happens in our workplaces. Now, Jesus is talking here about our brothers and sisters in Christ. But this is why I say it has to start in the church, because if we're unable to put issues, spiritual issues, sins on the table, 
with our own brothers and sisters in Christ? How successful are we going to be in our families and our workplaces where there may be people in our families who don't believe in Jesus and there are likely people in our workplace that don't believe in Jesus? We're going to be simmering and frustrated and angry all the time, all because we don't know how to work the forgiveness system. And let me tell you, I think that this is the reason why we see what we see in our culture today. Why we see frustrated people shooting one another on freeways. Why we see people bailing on long-term relationships and not coming back because we haven't learned to work the forgiveness system that Jesus has given us. And the best place to learn how to work it is right here amongst your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is like your practice field. You got your teammates around you. And if anyone should understand the forgiveness system, it's your brother or sister in Christ. They're going to get what you're doing. Where those of us who aren't believers, who don't have this teaching of Jesus' forgiveness, aren't going to so easily understand it. So, so practice it here. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. A German pastor from World War II era, he says, nothing can be more cruel than the lenience that abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more cruel than the lenience that abandons others to their sin. If it's your child, you know this. And you are going to confront them. But there is just something extra difficult if it's an adult. And what causes it to be so difficult sometimes is, is just what's going on in our heart. Pride. Because what if I bring something up and it turns out to be a silly little thing that really wasn't a sin. And then I'm all embarrassed. And I feel dumb. Why did I bring that up? Now it's kind of damaged the relationship. And understand, by no means is Jesus encouraging us to be busybodies here. And, and to go around being church detectives, looking for one another's sins, and really trying hard to straighten everybody else out. That's not Jesus' message. Jesus' message is for those who have sinned against you and it's obvious that you're feeling bitterness and hurt and anger in your heart, resolve it through his forgiveness system. I want you to do some fill-ins. To make every effort to keep the unity, we will need to end terminal churchy niceness. Put an end to it. And how do we do that? It starts here. Put spiritual issues, we call them sins, on the table. Talk about it. Sit down calmly. Now, what's the temptation if we open our mouth? Is to not talk to the person, but talk about the person to somebody else. And why is that? Because I want affirmation. I... I I want to feel as if I'm justified in being frustrated. And so instead of going to the person, 
My pride, my, my desire to feel affirmed leads me to someone else. They really wronged me, didn't they? And the gossip cycle begins. Notice Jesus is telling us, don't talk about the person to someone else. Go directly to the person that has sinned against you and hurt you, your brother or sister in Christ. Sit down with them in humility, with love and grace and your own need for forgiveness on your heart and talk about it. Put issues Spiritual issues, sins on the table. Secondly, pursue these issues until you have made every effort, there's that phrase, to resolve them. Meaning, if, if you don't resolve it in one conversation, that's not the end of the world. That's somewhat to be expected. Because the person who's your brother and sister in Christ probably didn't really intend to hurt you. They're your brother or sister in Christ. They might not, on initial blush, see things from the same perspective you do. It might take a while for them to come around. It may be that you going to them need to have your perspective adjusted. But guess what? Even if it's that, even if you go and you hear the person out and you end up being the one who changes positions a little bit and adopts a new perspective on the, on the issue... At least you're not sitting there with anger and frustration and bitterness on your heart because your perspective has changed. And that's so powerful. And that's why Jesus says, if you can't get it in one conversation, keep talking to the person. And, it, and if you can't get it through talking to them just by yourself, bring another person in who can maybe help the two of you get it together. And finally, if that doesn't work, bring it to your church. It's just a beautiful, beautiful system, brothers and sisters, and it works. And I want to encourage you to really adopt this as your system when you've been hurt by somebody, a brother or sister in Christ. I want to, I want to go back to the story that I was telling you earlier because it's an amazing, powerful story about, about Eric and what he did. So two years later... Matt and Eric meet in a parking lot. Now, all this two years, the investigation has been going on. So Matt is prevented from the investigation for, from approaching Eric to, to apologize, to share his heart. But the investigation ends, and shortly thereafter, he happens to bump in into uh, Eric in a parking lot, and he approaches him. Can you imagine the drama of this moment? Unbelievable. Matt Swatzel expected hate from Fitzgerald, not so much love. He wanted to thank him for all he had done, but legally couldn't speak with him during the two-year criminal investigation. The day before the two-year anniversary of the accident, Swatzel was in the parking lot of a grocery store after buying a greeting card to send to Fitzgerald. Just about to turn on his engine, he saw Fitzgerald walking into the same grocery store. After an introduction, Fitzgerald told Swatzel, this is the victim telling the one who created the accident, I want to be part of your life, he says to him. Amazing. They set up a schedule, and they begin to meet, and to this day, 
they're still meeting and they have become close friends. They've become completely reconciled, both sides forgiven. All of Eric's sadness and grief and bitterness and frustration and anger dissipated. Not that he doesn't still struggle with the loss of his first wife at times. And the guilt of Matt Swatzel, slowly but surely ebbing away because of the reconciliation between these two. Now, I'm going to say this to you. I can't imagine a bigger hurt, a bigger injury. If these two can somehow find a way toward forgiveness and reconciliation to cancel the debt. That's what forgiveness is. We cancel the debt that the other person has against us. How can we not find a way to cancel the debt of the people that we have something against? Here's your last fill-in. Do it with only one goal in mind to win over your brother or sister. That's, that's always the goal. That was Eric's goal. I want to win this person over. All right. Now, the next passage may be a little tough to understand, but follow me. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. I'm going to give you the fill-ins. Jesus has given the church family incredible power and authority, and and he just said it, to bind or loose sins. Now, let's define that. What does that mean, to bind or loose sins? Bind means refuse to forgive sins. Loose means agree to forgive sins. Now, I want you to look very carefully. Truly, I tell you, he's looking at his disciples. He's looking at us. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind, that is, whatever you refuse to forgive will be refused to be forgiven in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, that is, whatever you agree to forgive on earth, I will agree to forgive in heaven. (laughs) Whoa. Most people, when I tell them about this, theologians call this the power of the keys, the power to forgive or not to forgive, to to lock the door of heaven or open the door of heaven to, to someone through the power of forgiveness. You know what they say? There is no way that Jesus gave human beings, sinful human beings, the power to forgive sins. Only Jesus has the power to forgive sins. I've heard that many times. You know what the answer to this is? Let's go back to the context. What's happening with Jesus? He's winding down his Galilean ministry. He's going to Jerusalem. What's going to happen in Jerusalem? He's going to be crucified. He'll rise three days later. Forty days after that, he'll ascend into heaven. And he is going to leave the gospel with whom? Jesus going to be coming back and around to directly preach the gospel anymore? Nope. He's leaving it with you and me. Here's how I think of it. When I was a young dad in Africa, sometimes I would be gone the whole day to congregations, leave early in the morning, come back late at night. 
Sometimes I would be gone for four, five, six days at a time visiting congregations in a completely different province. Soon, with young children, Julie and I realized that we didn't want to have a system of, of confronting our children over the things that they needed to learn, in which Julie said, you wait till your dad gets home. Because guess what? Sometimes they were in bed by the time dad got home, and sometimes it was four or five days, and they were like, what are you talking about, dad? Right? So here was our agreement. Discipline them in real time on the spot. When I get home, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to totally dismantle everything you just told the kids. That's what I said to, to Julie, right? No. Don't you love my sarcasm? I said, I'll back you up. Because I know you and I beat with one heart. We're together on discipline. If you tell the children that this is right or this is wrong and this is the discipline, and if they try to come to me and say, Dad, do you know what Mom did to us? I'm going to say to them, yeah, and I'm glad she did. I didn't want her telling the kids, wait till Dad gets home. She didn't want to be telling the kids, wait till dad gets home. Jesus does not want us telling people, wait till Jesus comes back. And so he says, you're the church. Your heart beats with the same beat mine does. You have the Bible. You know what's right or wrong. You're my bride. You're my bride as the church. And as my bride, I give you the authority based on the scriptures, beating with one heart with me to tell your brothers and sisters if what they're doing is right or wrong, to forgive them if they repent, and to refuse to forgive them if they stubbornly move ahead in sin and won't repent. You have that authority. Now, it's amazing power and authority, but that's what Jesus means here. Let's go on. To wrap all this up, Jesus tells a story. And in this story, this parable, and this is where you're going to need to have Matthew 18 open if you've got your Bible. He, he does something amazing. He gives the why. Why are we to forgive? It's called the parable of the unmerciful servant. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. What's the parable saying? It's saying, you are that servant. And because of our breaking of those commandments that Pastor Dan taught us last weekend... We owe a huge debt. You see, that's what sin creates between us. That's what guilt is. When I'm angry with someone else because they're guilty of hurting me, 
That anger causes me to think in my head, maybe not in these terms, but this is really what I'm thinking, you owe me. I expected more from you. I expected something different from you. Now you owe me because you didn't deliver. Almost all anger is based on that. And if somebody owes us, what do we naturally want? I don't know about you, but if someone owes me, I want to be repaid. But unfortunately, in the spiritual realm, that's a lack of mercy and grace. And justice is a beautiful thing. The Bible calls for justice. But Jesus says there is a time and a place almost always to say, let Jesus and let God take care of justice for us. As Jesus first showed us, let us be gracious and merciful and forgiving. And that amounts to saying, as Jonathan said, I'll take the pain of saying, I don't need to be repaid. You don't owe me anymore. I forgive the debt. You see, that's what Jesus did for you. Right there on the cross. He says, you don't owe me anymore. All those sins that you committed against me, you did owe me. But now I have canceled that debt. You see, Jesus told this parable because Peter came to him and said, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven times? He thought he was being very generous. And Jesus says, Not seven, but 70 times seven. In other words, on and on and on and on. Be relentless about forgiveness. And then at the very end of this parable, Jesus says something very interesting because the unmerciful servant then goes out after he's been forgiven so much and he grabs hold of someone that owes him and tries to shake him down and get the little bit that's owed him. And then people say, why did you do that when you were forgiven so much? And Jesus winds down with this. He tells the, uh, the, the, merc- the, the unmerciful servant uh, these words. Then the master called the the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then he ends with some very, very tough words. These words that are in your program, in your crosswalk notes, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So here's your final fill-in. Within the church family, Jesus wants us to be relentless forgivers because he himself first relentlessly forgives us through the cross. I'm just going to ask you before I pray, as you hear these words from Jesus today, where's your heart breaking? Where's your soul rent just a little bit? Thinking about someone, a brother or sister in Christ, maybe someone in your own family, maybe someone at work that you need to put Jesus' forgiveness system into play with. 
humbly remembering that you yourself, as the unmerciful servant, have been forgiven so much. And that's what I'm going to ask you to meditate on during this period after the prayer. Who needs my relentless forgiveness? And whose relentless forgiveness do I need? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus to win forgiveness for us. And we owe you so much. Or should I say we owed you so much until your son Jesus came and died on the cross for us. Now that's all gone. You've canceled the debt of our sin and you've reconciled us to yourself and to our heavenly father. We are brothers and sisters and we are your sons and daughters. Now, Father, through the power of that, that amazing gospel message, I ask you to make us relentless forgivers as you first relentlessly forgave us. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. There is no better message than the message of forgiveness. I get thrilled to be even to, to relate it to all of you again. Like that unmerciful servant, we have all had so much debt canceled by our God. But unlike the unmerciful servant, let's you and me commit to ending terminal churchy niceness. Go out, follow Jesus' forgiveness system, and get to reconciliation by showing grace and mercy and forgiveness to others. Go home with that thought this week. Let me send you out with the Lord's blessing. After the blessing, please come forward if you got any questions about the message, if you want to meet me, or if you need to be prayed with. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord. We'll see you right back here next week.